Welcome to Technically Spiritual, a podcast that explores how technology impacts the way we think, feel, and act. We look to both ancient wisdom and psychology to understand how to nurture our minds, bodies, and souls today. We strive to integrate our spiritual selves into our digital world to create peace in our minds and on our planet. I'm your host, Prayer Namanchanda. Hi everyone, it's Prerna. Thank you so much for being here. Today's episode is slightly different than what we normally share on Technically Spiritual. We recently held our very first Technically Spiritual event where we discussed the recent documentary, The Social Dilemma. And I wanted to share some of the highlights from the amazing conversation with an incredible group of women who joined. I wanted to share this conversation with the technically spiritual community at large. I think it's useful to have conversations like this about social media and its impacts. And it's, I find it really helpful to hear all different voices and different perspectives. This conversation was really moving to me and I hope that you will enjoy it. Um, Please note that there are some spoilers about the film. I mean, the film is essentially about how social media is ruining the fabric of society. So, you know, there are spoilers, but there are also things that you probably already know. So you don't necessarily have to have watched the film to be able to participate in this conversation or listen in on this conversation. As always, if you want some more information about this episode, about the show in general, about upcoming offerings, please do visit the website, technicallyspiritual.com. If you haven't already, do sign up for the newsletter. If you're new to subscribe, you'll get a free meditation led by me. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. It's so nice to see everybody. I'm Prerna, the host of Technically Spiritual, and I'm so excited to have this conversation about the film, The Social Dilemma. So I just want to go around um, our digital space here and just get a sense of what brings you here to this conversation. What is the biggest pressing thing that you maybe took away from this film? And we'll take it from there. They did a very good job of outlining the problem. I wish they had gotten into a couple of the more like actionable potential solutions. Um, That definitely came to mind. Like Tristan literally sort of ended it with like, we need to do something. And like, as a closing line, I was like, oh, I get it now. We need to, we need to do something. Um, So (laughs) that that part unfortunately stuck out a little bit but I also recognize that like in the realm of a a documentary and something that is trying to outline the problem and impassion people like getting into nitty-gritty like policy things is trickier so yeah yeah thank you for sharing and hopefully today we'll hopefully be able to discuss some solutions that we can think of as a group. And that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation. 
in watching the social dilemma, not many, much of it was not surprising. I mean, I witnessed that when I worked in tech, but um, I agree that the, the numbers related to teen suicide, especially among young girls was significantly shocking to me. I did not realize the impact. Um, but then with the, the documentary within the documentary of the family, that really, I don't have kids. So it really drove home the obsessive nature of uh, mobile and how they try to get you and the gaming and then the personification of the algorithm. And after that, I was just like, oh my God, it's just really overwhelming. So, yeah. I feel like I'm even still processing everything from the uh, movie, but I think I would say I was most um, struck by just the general feeling of confusion. And, you know, I really felt that in my body. And I think that that touches both on the heart wrenching statistics about these young girls and suicide, and then also taking it to this sort of mob mind and seeing um, the massive effects, you know, in terms of the government's using this as a tool and, and just, yeah, feeding this um, very confusing and leading to very polarized, you know, messages out into the world, a world that's already very confused. Um, so I really felt that deeply within myself. So, yeah. I'm so grateful that I don't have to be on social media. A lot of people don't really have that choice. Um, the thing about the movie that uh, struck me was what, are, what a lot of other people have already said about the um, self-harm and hospitalizations of young girls and how it correlates, like right, the rise of those things happening at the same time of the rise of more people being on social media. So that didn't, uh, that didn't look very good to hear. Um, but then also the other thing was um, when Tim Kendall, he was the guy who acquired Moment and he works for Pinterest and he worked for Facebook. Um, the, when they asked him, what are you most worried about? And he said, a civil war. Um, I have people in my family who have been talking about that. Like, oh, this is going to just, all of this is going to lead to civil war. And I'm like, no, this, that's stupid. Everybody's just paranoid. You're just, you're looking too much into it. But then he said it and I was like, oh no. <laughs> well, maybe, I still hope not. That's scary. I can go next. <laughs> what you just mentioned, like this, this idea of having choice and agency of whether or not to participate on these platforms is something that um, I've very much struggled with in the world of being a freelance, anything, um, this idea that you have to be on these platforms for self-promotion um, is exhausting. Um, and I've really, thanks actually to Prana, have like re-evaluated uh, like what that means for me. Um, and then just like the ethics um, implied really of like putting content out onto this platform that I know isn't good for me but then independent on other people consuming information from me in order for me to have a livelihood in some capacity feels really um, problematic um, and complicated. Um, and yeah, I think the one thing that stood out for me, I think I already knew this, but I think the, the uh, 
imagery that they <laughs> showed um, of like the echo chambers on our news feeds and just like realizing like the progressive little bubble that I live in is also full of shit in its own way. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, just like realizing you have to be, like, I, I have to be a lot more careful of like the information that I consume. Hi everybody. Um, what stood out for me, so many things stood out. It was kind of a shock to me. Um, to see that the artificial intelligence, how much they know about all of us. And also as a journalist, how much false information is out there and people believe it and how that could affect the upcoming election, how it affected the last, how it affects our lives. And it, I really found it uh, quite, quite frightening. And, you know, journalism school, the first thing they taught you is tell the truth. And boy, that's not, that's not what I, what I'm seeing. So I'm very eager to hear I'd love to go on to the next step and hear some of the, you know, solutions. I want to make sure the role I play is, um, is a good one. I'm glad to be with you all. I'm Prerna, and these things have weighed heavily on me for a while to the extent that I started a podcast about it. So the, you know, the thinking about ethical technology and um, following the work of Tristan Harris and the Center for Humane Technology for a while. Um, a lot of what was portrayed on the film was things that I had known about or researched. And a lot of the things that stood out to me were just like about the film in and of itself. You know, uh, I think they did a great job with personifying the algorithms. I did think that some of the things that they missed um, were just around, you know, diversity. Uh, there was there was no person of color in the film until like more than halfway, um, and you know things like that. And I think they did mention technologies created by like these kind of young white guys, and and that was what was represented in the film. So I was a little bit uh, irritated by that. Um, you know, all of us sort of touched on various aspects of this film and the filmmakers sort of break down this dilemma into three separate dilemmas. So there's the mental health dilemma about addiction, anxiety, depression, the teen suicide, the platforms that are really designed to reward distraction and keep us hooked. Then there's a side of it that's about the democracy dilemma, polarization, content that promotes outrage and that's really what especially what we're seeing playing out right now in this in this space in the u.s and then the discrimination dilemma which i don't think they got into as deeply as they could have but really about um algorithmic bias and the amplification of hate ideally i would like to touch on all of these points and solutions but we'll see how much time we have so we can start i think a, a lot of us um talked about the mental health dilemma. So we can start with that. We'll see where it goes in terms of our conversation. Essentially, I just want it to be a really open space and everyone can just jump in as they feel the need. I'm so glad I am not the parent of a teenager. My son, who's 25, said, I'm so glad I didn't grow up like when this was all you did. Like, it's really, it's really terrifying for a parent. Yeah. I also feel like I, and that was a big reason for starting this podcast. I'm like, I feel like I'm of the generation where I didn't grow up 
with like I, I didn't get social media until like I had a little bit more prefrontal cortex, a little bit, um, you know, I didn't get it in middle school and stuff like that. Um, and there is a, there is a significant difference. I mean, they said, you know, kids that were born after 1996, essentially, that's like, that's the tipping point. And that's when you see those statistics. So yeah, feel free to, let's just carry on with this conversation and anywhere you want to take it in terms of how, uh, social media is impacting the mental health potentially of teens, but also of, of adults as well. So I, I have a little bit of hope that I hope will like counterbalance the scale a little bit. Um, so I got on social media when I was in high school. So not middle school, not elementary school, but also, you know, the, my brain was not <laughs> fully developed yet. Um, and, you know, I was on it like hardcore for like 10 years after that. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this has been 10 years. You know, my 10 year high school reunion is coming up and I've been on social media this whole time. So I took a year off and then I came back to social media, but it was different. Um, so I hope that younger kids will have the resiliency to, I don't know, get past it. Like, I, I hope it's not a permanent thing that's, that's happening to young people nowadays. Um, the other thing that gives me hope is that it seems like every other generation rejects what the previous generation has done. So like millennials reject everything that the boomers are doing and maybe the gen what's the new, the Gen Z, right? Maybe they'll reject what we have given them, you know? So I don't know. It, I could see a whole generation just saying, you know, forget this. We're not, we're doing this our own way now. What comes up for me as you describe that, it's like, like what I automatically think is just about like the ability to like make that informed choice based off of like access and education. Cause it's like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I know what I'm going to do for my children in the future if I choose to have them. But it's like, it's because I'm like relatively informed <laughs> to some extent. Um, I was just reading the book, The Nature Fix. So, I mean, it's essentially like the antidote to our times is like to essentially spend time in nature, like no brainer. <laughs> um, and there was a piece of that was in it about um, screen time for teenagers um, in the correlation of like essentially just their ability, their confidence levels. Like if you had lower confidence levels as a, as a young person, like your likelihood or culpability to um, become addicted to social media was higher. And that makes complete sense. I mean, even for me as an adult, I'm like, when I feel bad about myself, I'm <laughs> like, I spend more time on social media. Like, um, and then when I feel sure and good about my life, like I feel absolutely no need to be looking at my phone. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, those are just some thoughts. I want to follow that up. What you were saying when you don't feel so good, you're like scrolling through social media, totally get that. But then on the flip side of when I'm like having the time of my life, I'm so confident. I pick up my phone and I start posting on my story. So I feel like that's exaggerated. Like I look so happy on social media because I'm only posting when I'm happy and I'm only scrolling when I'm down. So I think that also like the way people look at me and the way we perceive others, uh, we're like, everyone else is happy. Why am I depressed? I think that's the bad side of any kind of social media. I mean, when Facebook came out, you know, there was this idea that you had, there was a way to um, 
maintain connections with people that maybe you never had connections with before? Like you mentioned the 10 year reunion, like then why do you even go to the reunion? Cause you're caught up with them on Facebook, right? It kind of like, I don't know, it's, like, it's a weird thing, but like, so one thing I think um, was this idea of like taking a gap year, right? Now kids used to take a gap year before they went to college. But the idea that you have to take a gap year in order to get clarity with not being on social media, that's insane. <laughs> that's, I mean, and this summer I did that. Like I took a month off because after being home with COVID and like the neighboring nature of my, my work, I have to be on the, on the computer all the time. And at some point I just totally burnt out. And it was amazing. I agree with you. It was so amazing to like come back after that. I had such like, clarity about what I needed to do and how important it was. But now I feel myself getting drawn back in and that, that has more to do with the politics of life right now. But I don't know, like, I feel like it's anything that has to do with social media or anything tech oriented has a very roller coaster effect. You have your highs, your lows. Sometimes you can't get out of the car. <laughs> so. There was a, there was an organization that started this put your phone in a sleeping bag for Shabbat. Like, for 25 hours, you didn't look at it, you didn't touch it. And there were, yeah, a lot of millennials who did that as a way to kind of detox once a week. And um, I actually do that. Like there is one day that I will not look at it. But the other thing about it is then I find things out. I find out who's died, who's doing a performance, who's, you know, like, I mean, obviously in the people who I'm dealing with, it's an exchange of information that's that's useful. And it's not generally about how good you look or whatever. It's, you know, right now it's almost all politics because of the bubble I'm in and, you know, what you can do. And so it's not unuseful in that way. It's, it's more, I think it's more about um, like when I grew up, you know, you shouldn't watch too much television because it was going to be bad for your brain. Right. So you know, one could say, oh, well, this is bad for your brain in a different way. But there's something about it that's... Um... Yeah, I think, I think there is a lot of good in it. Um, absolutely. All of, all of these sorts of recommendations of like, have time limits or like put it away at certain times and all of that. I think those are good things to implement in your own life. Like for my... For my example is that my phone doesn't live in my bedroom, right? Like that was the only way to prevent myself from scrolling for an hour when I went to sleep and then immediately scrolling for an hour when I got up. And it was like a simple thing of like, there's no charger in the bedroom. That's not where it lives. But that's also putting a lot of responsibility on the individual in order to sort of counteract the fact that this is designed to be addictive and designed to be the easiest, most candy-like, least fulfilling way to avoid our emotions, right? Like the reason you're scrolling more on days where it, where you're in a bad mood, it, your emotional resources are drained, your cognitive resources are drained. Um, and so like that is, scrolling is the easiest thing to get a quick dopamine hit everything, every new post that you see. And so they're taking advantage of that. And I don't want the solution to be that we need to like beat ourselves up if we're overusing it, or we need to make a bunch of changes in our own lives 
as valuable as those changes can be, I, I don't want that to be the main focus, right? Like, I'm curious what other things, like they had talked about, for instance, uh, removing the like button from Instagram or not removing it, making it um, invisible. So like, you wouldn't know how many likes you'd gotten on your own post. Like things like that are fascinating because part of what makes it really problematic, especially for young girls, young people in general, is that they're posting and then it's immediate social feedback of how valuable and accepted you are. Um, and that is, especially at that age, that is absolutely key. Like we are figuring out how we fit into our tribe. And so things like that are really, really damaging. Um, and I don't think the solution can be just like, well, take, take it away. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it can't be. Teenagers really shouldn't have this. But anyway. Yeah, I really like that point because it, it just reminds me of like soda companies coming up with the idea of the litter bug, like putting it on the consumer or putting it on the user in this case. And it's like that's a that's a just a scapegoat really for these massive companies taking responsibility for the things they're doing um, knowingly, you know, and when I think about, you know, what's the mechanism that within the human that makes the manipulation possible? And it's sort of bringing in the spiritual aspect of technically spiritual. It's like when we're not a conscious being, constantly being aware of what we are consuming through all five senses. And also, like you said, knowing how what we are taking in knowing how we are utilizing it, meaning are we uh, avoiding facing parts of ourselves that are uncomfortable? You have to be a very conscious being, uh, aside from someone who's a renunciate of social media altogether, for these things not to completely get you. And I would even think that it still would, because that's how the AI itself is built in terms of it gathering data, right? It working on its own. So it's like, God, to put all that pressure on these young kids, that's literally impossible. Impossible. How could they, they're not conscious. Their brain isn't even done developing. Like, I mean, you can't, and I'm a 30 year old woman and I'm, you know, I have to bring myself back to the moment, like constantly. I mean, this is a lifetime thing. We're at the, you know, beginning takeoff of this sort of real collective shift in humanity. But I mean, it, we're still at such a baby and vulnerable state within our own consciousness that of course these things would work. So yeah, my, my heart just goes out to kids going through this. I mean, I can think back to when I was younger and magazines, this 2D image was enough to make me feel little and ugly and damaged or defective or whatever. They have this like this live feedback loop that is interactive and like, oh my, it's just constant new stimuli, dopamine dripping. It's just like you're feeding like a baby to the wolves kind of thing. It's like, I don't even know. And also I can't tell you how many times I see some mom give their one-year-old or their two-year-old the phone. And I, I get like, you just want them to shut up, but this is like the worst kind of pacifier. It's, it's terrifying. And there's the element of the environment of social media, but then that's 
exacerbated because they're still feeling that kind of loneliness and fear with the environment that they have because bullying doesn't stop you know on social media if anything it gets worse because they can get you wherever you are so like that is I mean, when I was a child, like I was just worried about the neighborhood kids that were in a gang and that I had to worry about like walking down a street. Now they can attack you from any place that you may or may not be. And if you're being encouraged to share so much of your soul out there, that's it. That's the other part that I find really interesting. Um, I'm on Instagram, I, you know, for my business, for myself, but like, and I'm very hesitant about like what I share because I don't want to share too much, but kids today, they don't even think about it. They just share, they put it all out there. And it's like, it's, it's just, it's, it's scary. It's really, really scary. And I don't know how a parent can, you know, there's so much, only so much monitoring you can do from a parental side to like ensure that that's not harming anyone. I also thought it was interesting um, that they seem to focus on stats with women or with young girls. Um, Cause I'm sure there is, you know, a correlating effect on young boys as well. But I wasn't sure if they chose that because it has a strong emotional impact near the end of the film, or if in fact, like young girls are being so disproportionately affected that that was the most important point to make. Um, and it just got me thinking because with the election coming up and the centennial of the 19th amendment in this country and like just thinking a lot about like we it's only within our living memory in this country that women have the resources and power that they need to address these kinds of changes on their own um but you know these young girls there's only a few generations in this country where women are visibly managing resources and making decisions and moving things forward on their own. And that just seems like another huge pressure for these girls to walk into where they're, like you were saying earlier, being required to advocate for themselves in some kind of way um, when, when society is built against them to advocate for themselves or their health and their power. And so I've just been wondering how can, how can we, as we're aware of these things or we've experienced setting them aside, you know, what kinds of actions can we take where when they've developed and they turn around and, and ask us, you know, what were you doing or what were you thinking? Like um, that we can be prepared to engage them. Three years ago, um, two people in my immediate circle attempted suicide. And before that, it was none, zero. I didn't even know of anybody who attempted or self-harmed or anything. So um, I learned everything I could possibly learn about suicide. And it's very, very complicated. Um, and I noticed that too. They showed the rates of hospitalizations due to self-harm with girls and not boys. Um, and then, you know, successful suicides by teen girls, but not teen boys. And yes, the rates of self-harm hospitalizations and successful suicides is, has been on the rise for boys in that same timeline. Generally, women attempt more and men die more when they attempt it. So 
the the spike in the deaths of girls that's extremely shocking yeah. um it's all sad it's all wow yeah. i'm sorry you've had to deal with it in your own life yeah it's okay i have a good therapist <laughs> <laughs> Knowledge is power. I mean, the more you can understand it, the more you can face it, the more you can make a difference in the people's lives around you. Um, to know that it's growing at such a rapid clip on a societal level is overwhelming. I don't know what the solution is for that. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, and I mentioned this before that, you know, the tech companies, these big tech companies are mostly created by young white guys. This film was mostly created by young white guys. Um, so I wonder if that has anything to do with like why that statistic was specifically shared. Um, and if, you know, th like I don't think that young white guys are being as affected by some of these problems as like every other demographic um, you know, and, and we didn't, we didn't get so deep into the discrimination part of it, but I think it's something to think about just in terms of the entire infrastructure and representation. And I think, you know, as we move into hopefully talking a little bit about some of the solutions, like I, I think just to propose one is, is to have more women and have more women of color in some of these leadership positions at these tech companies and that are in charge of programming AI and providing education to women and people of color to learn how to program and all of these types of things. Cause it keeps going back like systemically. And that's what we're seeing playing out now with some, some of these movements. And I think it's all interrelated. Um, so I wonder if we can start to maybe use that as a jumping off point and then continue to to just contemplate any tangible solutions that we see beyond like, let's be mindful about how we use it. Cause I think we, we know that like, and, and I think that's already difficult. <laughs> like it's hard to, um, you know, like all, all of them said you'd turn off your notifications. Like, okay, there's some of the things that we know, right? So let's talk about it in terms of a, you know some collective changes that we would like to see and we can use our imaginations. I think that would be fun as well. There are actually, a few women who are in high tech in leadership roles and you just have to wonder how they go to sleep at night. It seems, you know, I was thinking as those educators and psychiatrists and psychologists were talking, I was thinking about, okay, well, we could send this clip that they just made to all those women leaders in those tech companies and say, hello, <laughs> is this what you want happening to your daughters and sons? And, and, I, wanna, and I do wanna say as the mother of two white males, I think it has an impact. I mean, it may not have such an impact on the, on the guys who are making this stuff. I don't know, because they're in a whole different, but I think this kind of very short feedback loop thing is very, uh, I think it, you know, the, the sort of addictive quality of it is, is dangerous, you know, kind of across the board. It's all. Yeah. I think regardless, regardless of gender and regardless of ethnicity, you don't 
get to be a leader of a corporation like that by being like a super empathetic bleeding heart. Yes. <laughs> so I think we like, if we don't find ways to hit them in the pocketbook and make the market incentives such that they actually can't afford to be doing this sort of thing, I don't think we're going to see any rapid movement on this. Also, um, our society is individualistic, so they're thinking about the well-being of their own family. So in their own home, I, be- I guarantee you they have all these practices and say no so much about social media. And it's different than what they're okay with happening to other people. And then kind of like what I, my first kind of fear, like they're recruiting people from working class families. So it's, again, it's going to give them less of a choice to quit. They're going to ha- it's for my family. We live in an individualistic society. I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. And if they don't do the super evil thing and get the market share, then someone more evil than them will get the market share. So like why they, it's really easy to rationalize. We all have come across like extremely high powered women executives and they're not nice. I mean, that's the reason why they get to where they got to like being agreeable in business gets you absolutely nowhere. Like you have to be cut throat and competitive. So I don't know. And yeah, that is traditionally masculine. So, you know, to be nurturing and caring and I care about more than just the profit. That's like a whole, that's an alien world. I don't know. We have to be cutthroat about being empathetic. How about that? <laughs> to like- I love that. <laughs> Just going to say as a former CEO who has lots of friends who are CEOs, it's not impossible. It is not impossible. There's lots of women who do it. And yes, people will accuse them from time to time of being quote unquote cutthroat because they have to make tough decisions. And uh, But I, I can think of uh, an extraordinary group of women who lead and do it differently. I don't think, I don't think they're mutually exclusive at all. It's just not the norm. I mean, I think exposure in tech is you, and you see them like you, you know, like the folks that go to Uber and they try to change the mark, the, the, the workplace and make it more feminine. And then 10 minutes, not feminine, but just more inclusive and universal. And then six months later, they're gone because they can't get through the the bureaucracy that exists in the company is so masculine heavy. I, I, I think we need to completely reinvent how we work. It's, it, it, you know, Prenna, you met, mentioned it earlier, the, the, this idea of change is not this like individualistic journey, even though many of us put, I mean, it's a democratic way, but like we have to like uh, cure the, the infestation from the inside out. And that includes incorporations. It's a much larger journey. I think what makes this so complicated is that it's like all dependent on a larger cultural, like political and economic system that's inherently run by toxic masculinity and consumerism, really. Like capitalism depends on people consuming. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I like, Pranat, like I, I'm trying to think of like systemic changes we can make and like this is still an individual change, but like the idea, like the fact that you're taking a year off from Instagram now, it's like, what if culturally we normalized not using social media? Do you know what I mean? Like, cause I think, I think they point on this as well um, in the video, like this like social pressure, this idea that like we, 
Like if you want to be relevant, if you want to have a career, if you want to be successful and like make money, like you have to be on these platforms. And I think that mentality in and of itself is harmful. I mean, it's like, it, it ends up just fueling the vicious cycle. And so, um, yes, of course, changes need to be made on like the technology aspect internally um, in terms of what they're offering. But um, I wonder if consumers can take ownership of their, their use as well. I don't know. Yeah. And I think we're, we're seeing some of that and we'll probably continue to see more of it. Doesn't really help the middle school girls, but I absolutely agree that like it shouldn't be a, a social requirement to have an online presence. I think we'll see more of that. Yeah. And, and I think that this sort of goes back to what you had mentioned in the beginning, like there could be, like, if we do something now collectively, like maybe we all just get off social media for a year. Like if enough people stop using the platforms, it will make a change and it will make a, a change in how much these guys make too, right? If enough of us do this and enough of us are conscious, this is why I also really appreciated the film because as to some extent simplistic as it was, it's, it's opening up the consciousness to even thinking about some of these ideas. If we put that into the consciousness of society, then maybe the next generation will just say like, no, I'm not even going to like, you know, there's a generation of people that don't even use Facebook. They're like Snapchat, Instagram, but they were like, eh, no, I'm not going to like, you know, so maybe that's, that's the case. And then we, we come up with something new, but we do have to sort of untangle it from really the fabric of, of how we feel like the social pressure and how we feel like we have to be in the world these days, especially when everything is, is virtual. Um, I know that we're like right at the end here. So I, I did just want to give an opportunity for any closing remarks. Yeah, it was definitely so nice to connect with everyone. I'm, I'm like you said, Perna, I'm just super grateful that this dialogue has started because the awareness piece is the first step for any sort of change. And, um, it was so nice to connect with a bunch of different women, you know, from all walks of life too. And it's funny how like the tech world is not just, you know, this weird, creepy Frankenstein algorithm. Um, like I do a lot of work in biofeedback, you know, that's, there's no algorithm there. And like, there's so much goodness that can come out of that. So it's like, and then, but you know, the power of this algorithm, they're literally like, the computer develops a mind of its own and does its own thing. It's, it literally feels like they're like, we've created a beast, we can't destroy it. Um, but I think it's like, at the end of the day, full responsibility, I feel like really has to come or the first wave of it from these companies, um, give them less of a financial incentive in terms of the stuff. Um, and honestly, I feel like this is the same kind of conversation we had about carbon or like whatever, but it's like at the end of the day, it is these big conglomerate industries and companies that are just like absolutely running and destroying simultaneously our world and using us as cattle or users or this or that. So like, it really is this whole implosion of a system that doesn't work anymore. So like, I just also want to be that one, you know, heart centered, optimistic voice that says not all destruction is bad. 
And like this actually could be um, the beginning chaos to um, a world that we all really actually want to live in and be a part of. That was such a nice uh, wrap up. Um, I know. And I, I feel like we, there's so much more to be said, but I'm so happy about how the conversation just naturally evolved. I really, really appreciate you all being here and being part of this community. This was the first technically spiritual event. So um, I'm, I'm really excited and uh, really, really grateful to each and every one of you. Thanks for spending time and um, take care, take good care. And uh, I hope that you have a peaceful rest of your, your evening. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Really appreciate you being here and being part of the Technically Spiritual community. I hope that you enjoyed listening in on this conversation about the social dilemma. If you have thoughts, if you have reactions to the film, I would love to hear from you. You can email me, technicallyspiritual at gmail.com. My primary way of connecting and communicating with you all, A, is the podcast, B is our newsletter. So if you haven't already signed up, you can visit technicallyspiritual.com to do so. I will talk to you next time. Take care of yourself. Bye.